or a text this morning is back in, uh, uh, of course, Romans chapter 11, as we read, pick it up in verse 12 and following. And, you know, as we, as we uh, um, get there, I just want to take a moment to uh, uh, reflect. You know, this is our uh, third season in Romans. We started it in, uh, started Romans right around Christmas time, three years ago, or two years, two, two years ago. So it's our third year in it. And it's um, you know sort of sort of ironic. Here we are in the, the midst of Paul's great letter on the Roman on the wonders of the gospel, and uh, we continue with some of our, our biggest questions in them. You know, as I was reading all the different commentaries and thoughts, uh, I came across a Piper sermon on this section. And interestingly enough, it was at Christmas time as well. He preached this this uh, over the same passage at Christmas time. But it wasn't it wasn't that that struck me at first. It was as he as he introduced it, he talked about the uh, the 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 battle that we have between our felt need and our and our uh, uh, real needs. And that was his his name of his title was felt needs versus real needs. And what really struck me is because this is a, a a thing I generally talk about in uh, evangelism and missions class. So it got my attention, you know. And and uh, Popper said this is really becomes an issue around Christmas time and really in our churches year-round that the gospel addresses our real needs, but we're more interested in our felt needs. And for those who don't know, the difference between a real need and a felt need is, is you really, really need air, right? I mean, you need it. It's not like an option, like, well, you want, no, no. You need air, but not many of us walk around Wondering and worrying about our next breath. You know, it's not, it's not something we're just, oh, am I going to have something to breathe? No, we, we need it, but, but, we don't, but, but we don't worry about it unless something happens that, that it kind of uh, uh, yeah, makes, you, makes you recognize it. That's when you recognize how, how desperate you need air. So air and food, there, there are these real needs in our lives. Um, but we, we're more concerned about our felt needs, and the gospel's the same way. You know, the, uh, the, we have real needs. We have real needs in our lives that the gospel addresses. Unfortunately, we spend more time worrying about our felt needs. Our felt needs such as, I hope I don't get sick. I hope I don't lose my job. I hope I'm safe on the road. You know, these, these are the needs that we so often address and worry about. Making a car payment, making a house payment. Those become our, 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 the consider, the, our focus instead of our real needs. Our standing for a righteous, holy God. And, and you know, there are questions, these big, huge questions that, that, that Paul addresses in this, in this um, uh, section. And as we, so a lot of times, our, our biggest needs are, are not even, and our biggest questions are not even the ones we ask. You know, they're, they're there, but we kind of ignore them. We kind of focus on other things. And Paul, Paul wants us to look at a couple questions this morning we need to answer that this morning that uh, I think we sometimes, oftentimes, ignored. Number one, how are you going to celebrate Christmas? in such a way as to make the children of Israel and really the whole world jealous? And number two, how are we to feel and pray about Israel? 
John, I got a challenge for you. Can you go back? To, uh, the, 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 we sang two songs during, during the uh, um, opening, during singing time. Can you go, not this one, but the one before that. Can you go up and put it up there? Not, I don't want the words. Just, just the pictures. Because as, we, as we're doing this, it had the so stained glass images. And I'm really being challenged. But, but it's funny, when you look at those, and if, if he's able to get them up there, it's, it's really kind of ironic in that fact that, that we're not struck by, this stained, by that stained glass image, and we should be. Can you get it up there? Yeah. Yeah, kind of go forward through the song right there toward the end. It shows Christ and all the apostles sitting around there. So in this one, and even a little bit further, so you can stop at any of those any of the places. We're not struck by those images, are we? By those fair-haired, white images of Christ and the apostles. We don't look at that and say, man, was that not a horrible picture? Do we? So here they're trying to portray the Last Supper, and we're not, we're, we're not just... We're okay with that, aren't we? But just out of curiosity, how many fair-haired, blonde people were sitting around that table? If that was going to be an actual picture of the Last Supper, how should every one of those people look? Brown? Galleon fishermen? Dark-haired? Huh? Yeah, rough clothing. It's just it's just interesting to me that that even Christ Himself, you know, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, going to that church and their their stained glass image of Christ. The model was Don Johnson. It was. <laughs> Carol could test. It looked just like him, didn't it? Which. If you had to pick one of those two, one of those two actors from Miami Vice to be to be the model, it would have been the other guy. Would have been a more accurate picture. Um, how are we to feel? Thanks, Sean. Good job. Thank you for doing that. It just, uh, it's just, but that's we're not we're not struck by that. We're, we're okay. We're, we're okay with that image, aren't we? Um. This is this is our where the gospel is. So let's 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 read. I'll, I'll bring show you what I mean by this in just a minute. Uh, now in uh, Romans eleven, 12, starting verse twelve. Romans eleven, starting verse twelve. Now, if their trespasses, meaning the the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, if their trespasses mean riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. That's us, just in case you're thought. I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. 
For if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from death, life from the dead? If the dough offered as as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. As I said, here we are in the midst of of Paul's great letter on the wonders of the gospel. And we continue to deal with our our biggest questions. You know, and oftentimes, our biggest questions we don't even ask. In this section, our biggest question continues to be about the children of Israel. Paul really has been dealing with this question since the beginning of, uh, of chapter 9. If we go back to chapter 9, Paul has been focused on this. This has been a, a real concern. He said, we need to understand this in the church today. He said, he said, if you want to understand the gospel, now think about this, out of this, this whole letter uh, uh, of 16 chapters, which we call as the basically the, 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 his magnum opus, the God's, God's greatest explanation about the gospel, out of 16 chapters, three of them are focused on the nation of Israel. This is a big deal. This is a big He said, you need to understand this. That, that you know, he, he's talking about this, this for three chapters. So it's really important that we get this. We need to understand how, what this means for us. You know, Paul began this back in chapter 9 anguishing over the condition of his, of his kinsmen. And, and Paul's, Paul's been dealing with this. He said it hurt him to see them. He said, and he said, it looks so bad. He said, part of it, one of the reasons why, it looks so bad, it says it looks as though the word of God's failed. He said it hasn't, but it looks as though it has. It has that appearance. When you look at all the nation of Israel and you see all the depravity, you see all the lostness, Paul says, it kind of looks like the word of God's failed. The same word of God that promised our salvation. It looks, it looks rough. And we need, we need to understand what's happening. And Paul makes a point of saying the word of God has not failed. In Romans 9, 6, because it is, it is because it's so many of their lives looks like it has. Paul goes on, or Paul goes on in, in verse 9 3 and says, For I wish that I myself could be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And we talked about that. Paul, here's Paul saying, Man, I, he said, I, I wish that, that, I, that I, could, I, could, I could fall away, that I could be cut off, that I would be accursed, damned to hell, so that my brothers would come to Christ which is basically what he said happened to them for us. That is the picture of it. That's what they did. That's what God did to the nation of Israel for us Gentiles. And they didn't do that out of love. It wasn't, their, it wasn't because they loved us. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just, he's saying in, in chapter 11, verse 11, 
Did they stumble in order they might fall? By no means. Read through their trespass, because they were cut off, because of their failure, because of their sin, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And this has been according to God's plan from the very beginning. This wasn't plan B. It wasn't like at the last minute we're going to change it. This has been God's plan from the very beginning. Look in chapter 3. Go back to, to uh, uh, Romans chapter 3. Paul's talked about the richness of the blessing that God has given the nation of Israel. In Romans chapter 3, he says, Paul asks the questions, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? He said, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They were given the Old Testament. He said, this, this is the blessing. And, and Eli talked about that last week, and we get in this. He said, this was the blessing. What a blessing it was that, that, that they were given the Old Testament. To them, the Old Testament is their native language. To us, we're, 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 we're learning. We're, this is our second language. But to them, it was given to them. Paul goes on in that, in that same chapter to say their unbelief was for a purpose. What if, what if, some, of, what if some were unfaithful? Does their, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness, of, the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though even though every one of you is a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you're a judge. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Paul says that the purpose, there was a purpose for their falling away. There was a purpose for their, for their, for their being cut off. In chapter 3, it was to reveal the righteousness of God. And in chapter 9, it says it was so that we would be brought in. Paul goes on in chapter 9 to talk about their blessings they've been given. So he said one of the blessings they were given was they were given the oracles of God. He kind of repeats that in chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever, amen. He said that was, that was the part of the, their, their blessings. They were given this. That, 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 that belongs to them. God gave them to God gave this to them. And He didn't take it away. He never took it away from them. Oh, they're blessed forever in this. So He says they were, they were given these blessings, and yet they've fallen away. Yet, their faithlessness. And he said it was to reveal God's faithfulness and it was so that we would be brought in for us to be brought into this. You know, they, the nation of Israel, are the Esau that is serving us. As he talked about in chapter 9, verse 12. He said that, that Esau was serving Jacob. Jacob being the picture of the, of the promised one. You know, and as I mentioned then, when we're going through this, we weren't done with this. 
that, that Paul's going to finish this picture. He's going to bring it all to completion, this, this picture. But at the time, we have this picture of the older brother who by right of birth deserves the blessing. Esau was born, was born first. He, by right of birth, should have gotten the blessing. But by the design of God and by his own choice, he rejects the blessing, so it's passed down to the younger brother. The younger brother doesn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. But by God's design, he received it. And the older brother continues to serve the younger brother as God used him to lead Jacob closer to himself. You know, spoiler alert, though. Spoiler alert, if you read this, when we read Esau's blessing, you know, very, there's a very interesting part of Esau's blessing that's often overlooked. In Genesis 27, 39-40, he says, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall, you, shall your dwelling be." So this, this, is, this is Isaac, as he's blessing Esau, he tells him that, that away, you know, when he gets his blessing, he says, Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heavens on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you go restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So you're going to serve your brother, as Paul mentioned in Romans 12, but it is going to end. There's going to be a time when it ends. It gets tough now, but it's going to get better. Things are going to change for you, Esau. Things are going to get better for you. And so as, as we have this picture of this, of, of what this looks like, we're Israel, Esau is that picture of Israel that serves for a time. But it's going to get better. And last week, or a couple weeks ago, when we went through this, we saw that what this looked like. What did it mean for, them to, to, for him to reject the blessing and, and, and others to be invited into the place and to get, it, to get what was really give, meant for somebody else? We looked at the parable in Matthew 22 the parable of the wedding feast, because they, they were the first guests and they refused to come. We, the poor and wretched, were invited in. And as we said, we were given a robe so that there would be no distinction. That this robe that everyone was to get was to be uniform. Everyone was to have the same robe. There'd be no distinction. You couldn't look at that one and say, that guy's rich and he's well off. That guy's poor. No, everybody had the same robe. You couldn't look at it and say, that guy was of the nation of Israel, original, first fruits. That guy's a Gentile. No, everybody was dressed the same. We're all to look the same. There's going to be this, this commonality. We're dressed the same at the feast. And Paul said in, verse, in, in chapter 11, verse 12, Now if their trespasses means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for Gentiles, how much more would their full inclusion mean? We should look forward to that, this blessing. The children of Israel are going to come in. The yoke will be broken. And, and they will bring their advantages with them. They're going to bring those blessings with them. First and foremost, they'll bring the Old Testament. And I think I last week did a great job reminding us how much we need the Old Testament. We need to understand this. Of course we're to study now. But it was given to the nation of Israel. And I can't even imagine what this is going to be like when they bring it with them. I really can't, but, but, I'm, but we should long for that and look forward to that. 
What's that, what's that going to mean for us? It doesn't make us more saved. I'm not trying to say that. I'm not trying to say we're sort of saved now and we'll get more saved. No, I just think it, it, it makes it sweeter, richer. We grow in this. Now, as we read through Romans 11, Paul's not finished, though. As he talks about this, what does this mean, this blessing? He makes it personal. He makes it very personal. He says, I'm talking to you. He's talking to me in verse, 11, verse 13. Now, I am speaking to you, Gentiles. I want you to understand this. I'm not just talking to the next. I'm talking to you, Gentiles. You need to understand this. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Paul claims, his, Paul claims that right. He claims that calling he got from God. He said, this is the calling that God gave me. He said, I was appointed for this task. This is why God put me. He made me minister to the Gentiles. When God sent Ananias to the street called Straight in Acts 19, Ananias said, or the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he, that is Saul, later who'd be called Paul, that is Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. The word is really interesting in that, isn't it? Because always we, we know what happens. It, it goes to the Israel first and then to the, to, the, to, to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. But, but in, in Acts 9.15, he says, Saul is going to take this, 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 this gospel, this good news, to the Gentiles first and to the kings and the children of Israel which is a reflection of what he's talking about here in Romans. He said, I magnify my ministry. I, I, I want you to, I want you to, I, I try to do everything I can. I, I focus on my ministry. I'm lifting it up before you. Because you need to know how important this is. You need to know how important you are in this. He said, you need to know what your role is in this, Gentile church. You need to know what you're here for. You're here to make them jealous. You're here to make them to, to bring glory to God through this and make them jealous so that some will be saved. And I think part of it, I think we saw a glimpse of that in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. When you, when you look at the Jerusalem Council, it's a really interesting argument that takes place. Um, Acts 15. Paul writes, or the Luke writes, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved, or unless you keep the law. So, so it wasn't talking about how you join the church. You're part of the church already, but now, now what do you do now? Now you go and you start keeping the law. Now you go and start following the rest of the law. And Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go to, to Jerusalem and the apostles and the elders about this question. So they go up to them. And, and, and this wasn't just sort of, let's just say I talk about it. No, it was, it was, they were debating. It was an argument. It was fierce. And when they got to, 
when they got up to Jerusalem, the debate continued. I want you to understand the significance of this debate. This debate is, for us in the Gentile church, what does our worship look like? Because they're saying, okay, yeah, you've joined the church, you've joined, you've joined this, this, this salvation. Now, let's start keeping the law. Now, let's, you know, now, now you've got to start keeping, keeping this law. That was the whole part of the debate. You've got to live by the law now. You've got you to fulfill these things. Give up on that, on that cheeseburger, because, man, you cannot put the, the, milk, the milk product and the meat together. No more cheeseburgers. Pizza's out. Forget it. I mean, who wants to eat a pizza without cheese on it, right? I mean, that's, that was, forget that. No, no. So pizza's out, as well as all the rest of the laws. And Paul said, no, no. No, let's magnify the ministry. Let's magnify the, the freedom we have in Christ, the joy we have in Christ. So they'll be jealous. And they'll want, they'll, they'll want it. Let's not try to make it look like them. And you know, praise God that the, uh, that the Jerusalem Council settled and they said, you know what? Peter settled the question when he said, well, guys, the Holy Spirit accepted them, fell on them just as it did on us in Pentecost. So if the Holy Spirit accepts them, what's it up to us? Paul magnifies the release from physical bondage to the law in order to make his fellow Jews jealous. He did that so that some might be saved. Some might be saved. Paul was never under the ideal that everyone who claimed to be part of the nation of Israel would be saved. It was his thought that some would be saved. Back in, in Romans 9.27, as Paul quotes, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though their numbers of the sons of Israel be as sands of the sea, only a remnant will be saved. Chapter 11, verse 5. So too at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by God. Paul's always said, there's, one, there's only some that's going to be saved, only a few that will be saved, a remnant by God's grace. And he said, and it's going to be glorious. And it's going to be wonderful. For if their rejection means reconciliation, what will their acceptance mean for life from the dead? He said, what a wonderful picture for this and for the world. Because of their rejection, reconciliation has come to the whole world. And, 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 and they have so completely rejected salvation from God that, rejection has come, that the reconciliation has come to the world, and, and they have rejected so much so that, that in verse 12, Paul said their failure means riches for the Gentiles. And we talked about this. We said riches, that word failure, means reduction. It, it, it means they've been so reduced. And the biggest part of this, that their smallness, their reduction, their, their, their smallness means riches for the Gentiles. And I said then that, you know, how, how is it richness for us? Is one of the ways it's richness is that Christianity looks like a Gentile religion, which is just amazing. 
that we can look at an image like that we saw on the board and not be shocked to think, man, why are all those guys up there white? Blonde hair, blue eyed, what's, what's going on with this? We got, oh no. And, and what's really so crazy is there's even many in the church who think this is a Gentile religion. That's why you hear terms such as replacement theology and views like that, which are certainly unbiblical. The church does not replace Israel. There's only ever been one true Israel. That's it. Only. God has chosen Israel from the foundation of the world and only ever been one true Israel. The idea that there's two is, is, is so, uh, so wrong. The one true Israel has always only ever been holy. Not because of what Israel did, but what, what God has done. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. If the root is holy, so are the branches. You know, Paul never saw himself as starting a new religion. That wasn't ever in his vision. He wasn't like, well, we're done with Judaism. It's, it's, I'm going to start a new religion. Christ was not the end of Judaism in the beginning of Christianity, in that they, in that they were separate religions. No more than, than the Old Testament is a book for the Jews, and the New Testament is a book for the Gentiles. It's, it's, just, it's just, not, just not right. To, you know, sometimes you hear people talk about fulfillment and, and fulfillment theology as if the church is the fulfillment of God's plan. And, and, and you know, and I think I know what they mean, and, and, and I understand that, but it really gets tricky. You know, we know that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. We got that. That's certainly true, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So, and, so of course, in Him, in Christ, is fulfillment. But we are not the fulfillment of Israel, as such as, as if there's no more Israel. You know, it's not like, it's not like there, there is no more Israel anymore. That would just be another name for replacement theology. We, the church, and by that I mean the Gentile church that we see around us, are grafted in to the one true Israel. But if some of the branches, and Paul, and back to 11, 17, but if some of the branches were broken off, you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. We are the wild olive tree branches. We're, we're the ones, and, and just now that means we are, our, our fruit is not fit to eat. A wild olive tree, they grow out here and they're uncultivated. You can't, it's not like a, uh, you know, you see a, okay, so Carol has wild pumpkins growing sometimes out, out by our school. Out, you know, she didn't. She takes her old pumpkins, she just leaves them out there, and they, they rot to the point where the seeds fall on the ground and the other pumpkins. Now, if it grew long enough to produce pumpkins, you could go out and cut that pumpkin and eat it, you know? You can't do that with an olive tree. That if, if it's a wild olive tree, its fruit was not fit to eat. 
You couldn't go out and gather the, the olives there and do anything with them. They were just useless. And he said, that's us. We were part of that wild olive tree. And we were cut off from the wild tree so that we could be grafted into the culture. Fruit-producing olive tree. And he said, how can we be arrogant toward our brothers? How are you arrogant toward them? How, how can you, why do you not see them as that, that branch that you're grafted into it? That one true Israel, that we're grafted into it. But really, the question this morning is so what? Who cares? Great, I got my salvation. What do I care about that? Paul, Paul, why do I need to know this? Why does, how is this going to help produce the holiness in my life? Paul says, first of all, this really should affect our attitude toward our brothers in Christ. We should pray for their salvation. We should understand that, 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 that they are connected, they're still part of that called, that in them are the remnant that God has chosen by grace. And we should live in such a way as to make them jealous for the joy that we have in the celebration. You know, we, 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 have, we have such a gift from God to be invited into the wedding feast. We have such a gift from God to be a part of the celebration. We need to live in that joy and to celebrate it. We should rejoice in the blessing that we've been grafted into. The, the blessings that God gave them, that because God gave them, we're grafted into this, and they're ours as well. The oracles of God, the Old Testament. The blessings of adoption. It's they are Israelites, and to them belong adoption. To them belong the glory. To them belong the covenants. To them belong the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. And because we're grafted into them, to us belong all of these same blessings. All of these same blessings to belong to us just as much because we're grafted in. To them belong the patriarchs. They belong to us as well. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God overall, blessed forever. He said, all that belong to us because we were grafted into it. It's not as if God took all the promise from Israel and said, no, you don't have any more, and gave them to the church. Such a poor understanding. Such a poor understanding. God said, no, the promises I give, I give forever. I don't, I don't take them away. I don't take them away. I've always given my promises to the one true Israel. Period. They've never lost it. All the way through, there's only been one true Israel. And all the promises belong to them. And when we, in Christ, are grafted into this, again, that federal headship, they're part of our promises too. 
Rejoice in that. And that one Christ, according to the flesh, is born. Because we've been grafted in, we, 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 He's our Savior as well. And we look forward to our Savior returns. He is coming back. You know, Christmas is great and wonderful. But as you probably already know, it's kind of ironic, the early church never celebrated Christmas. They never celebrated the birth of Christ. There's no records of the church for over 200 years ever celebrating Christmas. It wasn't until it was adopted into the Roman system that it became a holiday. It's not because it wasn't important or wonderful, but because they were too busy looking forward to his next visitation to look back on his last. See, in that next visitation, he won't be coming as a baby. He'll be coming as a God. I mentioned Wednesday night. You know, it's funny. The world can celebrate him coming as a baby. But I don't see him gathering around to celebrate him coming as a judge. Do you? And see, because we've been grafted in, we're looking forward to that coming, that appearing. We're looking forward to that. With the same longing that true Israel's always looked forward to to that coming, to that appearing. So that was one of the big problems with the first coming, with the first coming for the nation of Israel. They were so consumed with looking toward the next one when he's coming as a king, as a judge, that when he came as a baby, they missed it because it wasn't what they expected. We've been grafted into that. We too need to be looking forward to that next coming, that next appearing, that next visitation. And because of the last one, we can. We've been grafted in.